Welcome to King Solomon and the Stoics, a project of denverkolel.org. In this episode, we're going to discuss the balance between creativity and structure and see how they're rooted in two divine systems, the system of mazal fate and the system of reward and punishment, the system of free will. Let's begin with the words of King Solomon in Ecclesiastes Kohelas chapter 5. The first several verses Solomon contrasted one who lives with idle talk, idle thoughts and dreams, anxious thoughts, a person who lives in a non-reality. Solomon contrasts that with a person who fears God. And we explained our Moshe David Vali points out that the last letters of the words rather fear God is emet is truth. Because fear of God, there's a creator, there is reward and punishment, there are consequences for our actions, there is reality that we build through our actions. That is reality. All the things that we dream of and we're anxious about very often are non-reality. And Solomon is contrasting idle thoughts, idle chatter with fear of God, which he defines as reality itself. However, a person may be troubled by the following question, which Solomon addresses in verse 7. If you see oppression of the poor and the suppression of justice and right in the state, do not be astonished at the fact, for there's, there is one higher than high who watches, and there are high ones above them. Solomon is addressing a problem. If we are to say the fear of God and understanding that there's a creator, there's one who guides our day-to-day lives, and every action we take has a consequence, and that is true reality. If we are to take that as our operating mode, or to take that as our definition of reality, we're going to be troubled by the following question by verse 7. We're going to see oppression of the poor, and how are we to understand that? We're going to see righteous people suffer, and we're going to see wicked people who prosper. How are we to make sense of that? How are we to look and see that the world is a reality which is about fear of God. It's a reality about a creator and a one who guides our day-to-day lives. How are we to see that that is, in fact, reality? To the contrary, we see a world which just flows. We see people randomly receiving good and randomly receiving misfortune and suffering. How are we to make sense of this? So that we can go back and look at the world in an organized way and accept and have faith and understand that there's a structure, that there's guidance, and everything happens for a reason. How can we walk around like that? Everything seems so haphazard, so random. Why shouldn't we be beset by anxious thoughts, by dreams about potential calamities? Why not? Look at the world. Things happen. How are we to have a sense of calm, a sense of structure, a sense that the world makes sense. To that, Solomon says, Do not be astonished by the oppression of the poor, for there is one higher than high who watches, and there is one high above them. The great Ramchal, who was born in 1707, the great Kabbalist, explains in several places that there are two systems. There's a system called Mazal, Mazal which we typically translate as fate, And there's a system of reward and punishment which relates to free will. And Ramchal explains that God created the world for a purpose. Ultimately, the world is marching towards perfection. Ultimately, the existence as we know it is preparing, is paving the way 
for utopia, for an ultimate perfected world, the world of Mashiach, the world of the Messiah. That is the system of Mazal, the system of fate. God prepared the world, created the world, and he placed every person, every tree, every blade of grass in the perfect place where it belongs to prepare and pave the way for a perfected world. Every person and everything has a role to play in the system of Mazal, in the system of world order that is marching towards a perfected world, that reveals the unity of God where there's only goodness. And Ramchal points out that the system of reward and punishment, which to us makes so much more sense, it's based on your actions, it's based on your choices, that system is imperfect. If we would only have a world with absolute reward and punishment, where all the good people had it wonderful, and all the evil people had it terrible, first of all, there wouldn't be so many evil people. There wouldn't be free will to choose. But in addition, you would still have suffering and misfortune. You wouldn't have a perfected world. There still would be evil in the world. That's not why God created the world. God created the world to be perfect. This existence as we know it is paving the way and preparing for that perfect existence. An existence where there is no evil whatsoever, not even evil people who suffer misfortune. There's only pure goodness. That's the purpose that God ultimately created the world for. And that's where the world is marching towards. And every person has a station in life that achieves that ultimate objective. Ramchal explains that some people, at some times in their lives, accomplish that objective through goodness, through appreciating God's bounty, through accomplishing incredible things, incredible feats, through doing good, through enjoying life. That's one part of the perfection that the world goes through to reach the ultimate perfection. But there's another part. There's another aspect of life. There's another aspect of reality that also plays an integral role in paving the way for the ultimate, ultimate world of the future. And that is suffering misfortune. And this is all to explain and clarify. All this talk of fate, of mazal, is before free will. It's before man's choices. And even before man's choices, some people are born to be rich. And some people are born to be poor. Some people are born to be healthy. And some people are born to suffer various ailments throughout life. And it doesn't matter on your, what a person's choices are to a certain extent. And we'll see soon, it really does. But in the system of mazal and fate, as we're discussing right now, choices don't matter, actions don't matter. A person has a place, there's a structure, and everything has a time, everything has a place. That's one system, that's the system of mazal. But God created another system, and that's the system of free will. Within the system of mazal, within a person's placement in the world, First of all, they have the choice of what to make with their circumstances. A person who's wealthy has the choice whether they're going to do good things with that or they're going to do negative things with that. And we'll see soon a much deeper understanding of that, of that choice that a person has, what to do with the means at their disposal. A person has a choice. A person suffers through poverty. A person has very limited means. They have a choice. Are they going to use that wisely or are they going to make very, very poor choices and they're going to really, really suffer and have nothing and not have a life and not be able to contribute to society? A person always has a choice. What to do with the circumstances, what to do with the place in the world order that they occupy, that they were given by God. That's the system of Mazal. But then there's a system of reward and punishment 
that is free will. First of all, as we explained, it's about what you do with your circumstances. But deeper than that also, a person can transcend mazal with his free will. With the merits of choices, with the merits of prayer, a person can actually change at least slightly or sometimes maybe dramatically their placement in the system of world order. And Ramchal says we human beings have absolutely no understanding of how these two systems work together. But rest assured, he says, they work together. If a person is meant to suffer misfortune through the system of Mazal, it always will be connected to some act, to some sin that they do. Because the two systems, the system of reward and punishment and the system of Mazal, are intertwined or interconnected. And again, we don't understand how they work. But one thing that's so vital to understand is that when we see misfortune, when we see suffering in the world, we need to understand it's not simply a result of action. Sometimes it is, but very often it's not that if, if a person suffers misfortune that they're evil. We shouldn't do what Job, what Eov's friends did, which was to say to him, if you're suffering, you must be evil. No, we don't understand there's a divine plan. The world is marching. God is marching the world towards its perfected state and misfortune, suffering, hardship, challenge is an integral part of the perfection that God is preparing for the future world. And so if a person's suffering it may very well be part of the system of Mazal, it is very likely that it's not a simple response to a sin, to an action that they've taken in their life, to a choice that they've made. So that's the two systems, and that's what Solomon is addressing for us. Fear of God is reality. God created and God guides the world. And that is reality. But there's more to it. And we don't necessarily understand it. But we have to understand that it exists. We have to understand that the system of Mazal exists. Although we may not be able to appreciate its details. We may not be able to appreciate when the system of Mazal is in effect. When the system of reward and punishment is in effect. A teacher of mine once pointed out that a person may have absolutely no idea of what exists under the hood of his car. He has no clue. He's completely ignorant about the details of mechanical engineering. He has no idea what and how an engine works. He has no idea how the cooling system works. He has no clue. But one thing is certain. He needs to know that there's a complex system beneath the hood of his car. If he doesn't know that his car is a complex machine and he's in trouble, then the engine light goes on, the uh, the, the, the heating system starts telling him the engine's overheating and he has no idea that anything has any sort of importance. So we need to know there's a complex system. We can't understand it, but we need to know it's there. And when we know it's there and we see confusing things in the world, we can stop for a second and say, there's a world order that's marching towards a perfected state and everything and every person has a place in that system before they've made a single choice. And those are the two systems of mazal and reward and punishment free will. Solomon goes on to say, The advantage of the land is supreme, even a king is indebted to the soil. What does he mean? Because there's a great question that's playing in our minds after we've read verse 7. After reading verse 7, we appreciate that there's a system of mazal, there's a system of fate. And now we're troubled. So if there's a system of fate and every person has a place in that system, even before they've made a single choice, so what is the value of choice? What's the value of effort? What's the value of 
human free-willed creative expression. If everything is set and established, and we explained before these two systems, but Solomon is addressing this question. To that he answers, and I'll have to read this verse in Hebrew, to that he answers, V'yisron eretz bakal hu, or bakal he. Maybe we'll explain the different readings in a moment. The benefit of Eretz, the benefit, the advantage of land is supreme. That's how the art school translated, translates it here. But another way to say it is the advantage of land is in everything. Let's analyze the word Eretz, the word land. The word Eretz relates to will, to ratzon, and to ruts, to running. Eretz, the land, is about running. It's about will. It's about passion, creativity. Dreams, yearning. That's what it's about. And we just saw in verse 7 that everything is about fate. Lest you think that there's no room for free will, there's no room for passion, there's no room for creativity, there's no room for ambition. Says Solomon, no, the advantage of Eretz, the advantage of running, the advantage of pure will is in everything. There's nothing as fateful as it might be that doesn't benefit, that doesn't get completely transformed through will. A person is placed in a certain position. By no free will of his own, he inherited it. What is he going to do now if he passionately pursues his mission within the context and framework which, within which he was placed? He can accomplish incredible things. Everything he touches will turn to gold. The evidence, the passion, the will that he puts to his work, that he puts to his station in life, that he invests in his corner of the world, that is evidence to the passion. That is going to come forth and shine forth and be a completely different product. The person will shine as an example of someone who took what was given to him and he married to his fate. He married passion, creativity, ambition. And so Solomon says the advantage of land, the advantage of will, the advantage of ambition is supreme. It is found everywhere. It's everywhere. It doesn't matter where fate puts you. The advantage of applying your passion, your will, your free will is supreme. It's above everything. And then he goes on to say a strange statement. The king is indebted to the soil. And there are a lot of different ways of understanding this. And it's a bit difficult. But let's try and look at it this way. The king of old was the one who amassed a fortune. He had the treasures of the land. He had the most money of anyone else. What is money? Money in Hebrew, one of the words for it is kesef, which means also yearning, desire, ambition. The king holds the key to an ambition of an entire nation. And yet, the king too is indebted to land. Land is something that you must, must, appreciate its structure. Otherwise, you will be in deep, deep trouble. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 30, I passed by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man lacking an understanding heart. And behold, it was overgrown with thorns. Nettles had covered its surface and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw this, I set my heart to understand. I saw and accepted discipline. I accepted the value of discipline. A little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to recline. A person thinks to themselves, what's the big deal if I step back? What's the big deal if instead of doing the work I need to do, I take a little nap? 
then your poverty will come like a traveler and you're lacking, like an armed man. Commentaries explain, a traveler arrives unannounced. An armed man rushes into battle. A person doesn't see it coming. But if they don't appreciate the structure of agricultural living, they don't appreciate they need to plant, you need to plow, you need to do everything in its season, you need to put in that work, otherwise you will have nothing to eat. Otherwise the fence, if not mended, will come completely down. You will plant and the animals will eat everything that grows. The land is the quintessential place where you see the value of structure. There's no, you can't cram. You can't cram your test. You can't cram your work of planting and plowing. You need structure. You need to recognize that the land responds to certain things. And the land has certain laws, certain laws of physics, certain things that work, certain things that don't work. And you need to recognize that. You need to recognize structure. So Solomon says, now we're going to flip around. We started off saying, to recap, fear God, that's reality. We questioned why are so many good people suffering? We answered to something called fate. Everyone has a place. We asked, if everything is about fate, where's the value of free will? Where's the value of ambition? We answered, everything can be benefited. Everything can grow and shine like the sun. If you add, if you marry ambition to fate, if you take the station in life and you apply yourself, you apply ambition and passion to it. And then we said, okay, but don't think that everything's about ambition. You need to balance it again with an understanding of structure. Because even the king who has the, all the valuables, he has all the ambition, he has all the buying power, which is about exercising will, which is about exercising desire. He has all the buying power that anyone could ever ask for. And yet he's indebted to the soil. He's indebted to the principle of structure. That's what Solomon goes on to say in verse 8. In the next several verses, we'll try and do this in a bit of an overview so we can make it to the end of the chapter. Solomon goes on to say the following. He says in verse 9, he talks about a lover of money will never be satisfied with money, and a lover of abundance has no wheat. This too is futility. The commentaries explain that Solomon is telling us that we need to have balance. If we only follow passion, if we only follow what we love, then we will have no wheat. We, God forbid, will have nothing to eat. Rashi says a very interesting thing. Rashi says that if we only follow our passion, we will not have achievements that stand out that endure. It's a fascinating thing. I'm not sure what he means, but I'm th I think that perhaps Rashi is telling us that if we only follow our passions, we will not create enduring, lasting impressions and contributions to the world. It is only by recognizing the field, by recognizing the system, the structure of the world, the fate, the placement that we have in life, the, the fate that others have in life, the fate that particular endeavors have. We have to understand the structure, the laws, the cause and effect that God set into motion. We need to appreciate that. And when we can combine our passion with a recognition that there's structure to everything, we can achieve enduring things. We can achieve enduring accomplishments, enduring contributions to the world around us. Solomon goes on to talk about as goods increase, so do those who consume them. You get more and more money and then more and more people surround you to eat up everything you have. 
So what value is there? He says there's no advantage to the owner except what his eyes see. Commentaries explain the value that the owner has is the joy of giving. Because money, valuables, are something that is achieved through will, but then it turns into an inanimate, dead object. It's an inanimate, dead object. It's nothing. When you take the money, when you take the valuables and use it to further will, you use it to express the deep desire to be God-like and to give, you've taken the money that was built out of passion and then turned into a dead object, you've taken it, you've made it alive, and you've used it to bring forth your life, your passion. And so the value of goods as they increase is what the owner sees, is the enjoyment of being able to give. And he talks about sleep, sweet as the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, the satiety of the rich does not let him sleep. And there's a fascinating comment here. We'll take this a little bit in a different direction. There's a fascinating comment of Rashi that points this to one who studies Torah. And he does this to the verse earlier in verse 8 about the king being, being indebted to the soil. And he explains it here as well in verse 11. The sweet is the sleep of the laborer. Rashi explains that there are two types of God-fearing people who do what is do what they're supposed to do. There's one person who does what he's supposed to do. He never leaves his corner. He never steps away from what God intended him to do. He doesn't sin. He always invests his efforts where it is appropriate. He never takes a step in the wrong direction. And that's amazing. And Rashi explains that that person is going to, is going to sleep a sweet sleep. It refers to the grave. After this person has lived life, he goes to the world that he's created, that he's lived he goes to the life, the clean, beautiful life he lived, and he gets to enjoy that life in the world to come, where that life is transformed to a life of reward. Because the life of effort is always transformed to a life of reward. What we live here in this world manifests itself in the world to come as reward. And so the person who is a laborer, he always does what he's supposed to do, he has sweet sleep in the grave. He has his world perfect, perfectly because he stayed within the bounds that he was meant to stay. But the satiety of the rich does not let him sleep, Rashi explains, refers to the person who is creative in his Torah study. The person who is creative in his Torah study creates life. He creates enduring achievements. And then when others study his words, when others study the words, the creative Torah that he created through his labor, through his, his riches, he created enduring riches. He created an enduring enlightenment, enduring Torah. When that Torah is studied, the sages say, the person's lips in the grave move because he lives on through those words. Yes, he has eternity and he has a world to come, just like the laborer, just like the God-fearing person who never stepped out of his bounds. But the person who adds creativity to his God-fearingness. He adds creativity in addition to never stepping out of bounds and always living by the rules of God. He adds creative energy to his Torah study and he creates new insight that people in the future generations can continue to relate. That person lives on. His accomplishments, achievements are enduring because in addition to the structure, in addition to sticking with the fate that God decreed for him, he added the creative energy and brought forth new insight into the world. Solomon goes on to talk in verses 12 through 16 of a person who only hoards his riches. 
He only hoards his riches. So this person, he comes into the world naked and he returns to the grave naked. He takes nothing with him. Because he took his desire and will and he took his station in life and he left it as a dead object. He only used desire to amass fortune that stayed as an inanimate dead object. But he never took that further. He never used it to give. He never used it to express deeper will within himself. He never used it to create life. And so this person has nothing from all his toil in life. But Solomon contrasts that in verse 17, going forward from verse 17 through 19. Solomon contrasts that with a person who appreciates his station in life as a gift of God. And he understands that that gift of God is something that he has to be happy with. It's something that he has to do good with. It's something that he has to further his mission. That is the person that Solomon describes, the righteous person, who enjoys the lot in life that God gave him. Because A, he recognizes it's God-given, it's his fate, and there's a purpose and he ultimately will be rewarded for whatever difficulties he undergoes, and it will build a perfect world. And in addition, he takes that he takes that fate that was given to him and he creates with it. He uses his free will passion to do good. He's happy with his work. That's the gift. That's the beautiful thing that Solomon describes, the beauty of this righteous person, verse 17 through 19. But at the end, he says, For he shall, not, he shall remember that the days of his life are not many. While God provides him with the joy of his heart. Commentaries explain that this righteous person understands that good days and bad days happen. He doesn't sit around counting when this was a good day. Oh, it was a good day. It was a good experience. No, it was the day just dragged. This happened. This misfortune. This hiccup in my plans. No, this person recognizes and appreciates everything is God-given, is a gift of God, and he doesn't stress and sit around counting which was a good day, which was a bad day. He recognizes that and therefore with that understanding and that faith, God provides him with the joy in his heart to appreciate and deal with every circumstance that life sends his way, that God sends his way. He's able to deal with it with joy in his heart, knowing that ultimately there's a purpose to fate. There's eternity to fate. There's eternal value and goodness that the world ultimately will come to and that man will appreciate and achieve through fate, through the station in life that he occupies. And in addition, he has joy of heart by taking what he has and furthering it, creating with it, giving with it. That is a little bit of an overview based on these words here in chapter 5 of King Solomon describing the two systems, the system of creativity and a system of structure. Structure is connected with fate. Structure is connected with the world God created to be a certain way. While creativity and free will is connected to the concept that God created reward and punishment. God created a space for man to operate, to do and to take what he's given and further it. And create enduring achievements. Thank you for listening.